Hello and welcome to the Combat Stress 100 podcast. My name is Tom Fox. To commemorate 100 years of combat stress, in 2019, the charity worked with the UK reminiscence charity Age Exchange to travel the length and breadth of the UK, recording interviews with veterans who've been treated by combat stress. They called the project Combat Stress 100. Funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund, the charity's brought together veterans to tell their powerful stories, often for the first time in public. If you have any issues with the quality of sound, please be aware that veterans' interviews are captured in studio conditions but our clinical team recorded their pieces at home due to COVID. In this episode, we'll hear how PTSD and complex PTSD rarely strike on their own. Depression, anxiety, anger or substance misuse tend to come with the territory, making their mental health condition even more complex. Listen in to the true stories of veterans who have turned their lives around and from the clinicians who helped them on that journey. Dr. Walter Buzzatil, Royal Air Force veteran, consultant psychiatrist and director of research at Combat Stress, tells us more. My name is Walter Bizetil. I'm a consultant psychiatrist and I've worked at Combat Stress as medical director for the last 13 years. Uh, before that, I served in the Royal Air Force, first as a medical student, then as a general duties medical officer. And then I qualified as a GP, but I trained once more in psychiatry and I practiced as a consultant psychiatrist in the RAF. So comorbidity in relation to mental illness means that other illnesses are present with the most prominent or the primary illness. So we're talking about post-traumatic stress disorder being the primary illness and then other illnesses present comorbidly would be depression, anxiety, alcohol or other substance misuse uh, disorders, um, uh, we could have obsessive compulsive disorder. So in some cases, there are physical illnesses that go along with the primary mental illness. So, for example, when somebody suffers from chronic post-traumatic stress disorder, they are more likely to suffer physical illness, including have a heart attack, have high blood pressure, have diabetes, uh, become obese or have an eating disorder or have a stroke uh, 10 years prematurely and even die 10 years prematurely from these physical illnesses. This has been shown in research. So comorbidity includes having a primary mental illness or primary diagnosis, in this case of post-traumatic stress disorder, together with secondary mental illness, for example, depression or alcohol misuse disorders. And it can also include in some physical illness that can go along with the primary diagnosis. So, of course, post-traumatic stress disorder is a stress illness and many stress hormones are produced and uh, these chemicals can produce high blood pressure, which then can cause heart attacks or strokes, for example. That's what we mean by a comorbid illness being caused by the primary illness in terms of the physical health being involved as well. So now we're going to turn to what issues veterans can develop together with complex PTSD and post-traumatic stress disorder in relation to how they appear 
to other people. So in brief, they can appear to be very angry because of their high levels of arousal, which is part of their post-traumatic stress disorder. They also can appear very anxious, again, because of their high arousal, which is part of their PTSD. They can also appear anxious because this is a secondary comorbid illness in its own right. So anxiety disorders can go along with PTSD in their own right. They can also appear depressed and feel low in mood and uh, feel life isn't worth living and there is no point. And uh, low mood uh, can be part of depression, which is a comorbid presentation of PTSD as well. They can also abuse uh, substances such as alcohol, as we've already mentioned, or else other illicit substances, for example, cannabis or cocaine. It's quite It's quite relevant, really, that veterans with complex PTSD or PTSD present with other symptoms apart from the core cluster symptoms of PTSD, which we mentioned in the case of PTSD to be re-experiencing of the trauma, hyperarousal and emotional numbing and avoidance behaviours. And with complex PTSD, they also develop other symptoms alongside the PTSD, which include interpersonal uh, difficulties and negative outlook on themselves, so their self-concept, the way they look at themselves isn't very positive. And also, they are, if you like, very impulsive, and we call that a dysregulation, so a lack of ability to regulate or to manage their emotions. Uh, And so people will say they have a lot of mood swings or behaviours that are not appropriate for the situation that they are in. And this can appear quite odd to other people who witness this. Now, turning to why veterans become dependent on alcohol uh, or addicted, so dependence means addiction, uh, there are good reasons for this. Um, First of all, in our culture, alcohol is used to, uh, if you like, relax. And uh, in the military, from a cultural point of view, alcohol is used or downtime, especially after coming back from uh, exercises or else uh, from a difficult uh, week, uh, have a happy hour. Um, uh, and of course, it, it's easy uh, in the military. It's, it's, it's cheap. The alcohol is cheap. There are many bars to go to or else you go down to the local town and have a great time with your friends. So there's a cultural issue regarding alcohol and it's it's uh, not difficult to see why some uh, serving personnel and then when they become veterans get addicted to alcohol and that can be a problem in its own right because the culture really does kind of push you to to drink even if you don't want to uh, drink. Of course, with post-traumatic stress disorder, alcohol is ideal to avoid your feelings and your thoughts. And uh, the avoidance symptom cluster of post-traumatic stress disorder is such that uh, people discover that alcohol actually is very good as a means to self-medicate, to avoid your thoughts and feelings related to what happened and to help you to cope. And of course, with post-traumatic stress disorder, people don't sleep very well because they are very highly aroused, but also some are afraid to go to sleep because of these terrible nightmares. And so people drink alcohol to help them to sleep. And that's, of course, the more we drink, the more likely it is we'll become addicted. In addition, if people have a Comorbid depression, which is the most common uh, mental health problem that goes alongside PTSD. As part of depression, people would tend to drink. And of course, alcohol makes people feel depressed. And that's a vicious cycle. And then that results in it being more likely that people become uh, 
alcohol dependent or addicted to alcohol. So, so that is a, that is quite a big issue. So alcohol causes low mood and cause depression and depression can actually cause you to drink more because you feel worthless and perhaps alcohol will at least initially give you a buzz or give you a lift and if you like drown your sorrows. The other question I'm frequently asked is does, uh, how does alcohol make a veteran's PTSD worse? Well, in a nutshell then, it, it actually increases the avoidance and then stops you processing the trauma. It, the withdrawal from alcohol. So what I mean by this is when alcohol is drunk, uh, it reaches a certain level in the blood. And when we stop drinking, the uh, level of alcohol comes down in the blood. Uh, but uh, this can take uh, quite a long time. And uh, what can happen during that time is we can get withdrawal symptoms or we can, you know, our body feels the need to actually top up the level of alcohol and therefore we feel anxious and agitated. So withdrawal symptoms from alcohol increase our hyperarousal symptom cluster of PTSD, making us more irritable, uh, preventing us from sleeping, uh, lacking concentration, uh, making us angry, uh, making us jumpy uh, and uh, you know, causing a whole host hypervigilance, for example, as well. So uh, withdrawing from alcohol is a, is a big issue, especially in an uh, somebody who's addicted, who's, a, who's now dependent or an alcoholic. Uh, alcohol as well makes emotional numbing much more prominent. So it dims up our feelings. So alcohol really exacerbates or makes emotional numbing much more prominent and worse. The other thing it does... Uh, uh, alcohol, uh, if, especially if it's drunk regularly and someone gets addicted to it, is it actually can give you flashbacks. So these are action replays of what happened at the time of the trauma. Uh, your flashbacks become much, much more vivid and very real. And you can, if you like, experience them in any sensory modality. So it's uh, not a question of just seeing things. Uh, or being in, in the film. Some people see a flash like a picture. Other people uh, actually have things moving like a film. Uh, other people are back there in the film, as it were. And they also have uh, sensations where they uh, have an audio so they can hear what happened uh, action, as an action replay. They can feel it in their skin, uh, taste it, smell it. Uh, and even, uh, you know, there are flashbacks involving movement. So um, uh, people can feel, for example, as if they're flying through the air, just as they flew through the air when the bomb went off. So it's, it's really important to bear in mind that alcohol can make all these flashbacks much more real and very frightening. What alcohol will also do when people are asleep is make their nightmares much more vivid. And what I tell uh, veterans who drink a lot is that alcohol can make your nightmares have uh, technicolor vision and surround sound. And that's really very true. The question then rises, why must veterans be, if you like, alcohol free or as free as possible from alcohol or even uh, illicit uh, drugs or substances like cannabis, cocaine, whatever, uh, before they can be treated by combat stress? Well, it's really important that when veterans come to combat stress, they need to be drug and alcohol free. First of all, we do prescribe medications to counteract PTSD and the comorbid illnesses that people suffer with. So these medications need to work and alcohol and illicit substances can interfere with the actual mechanics or the pharmacology of the drugs that we need to prescribe. So it's a very good idea to tell your doctor uh, who's going to prescribe medications for your PTSD or depression that you are in fact using 
illegal drugs and you are in fact using alcohol. So that can be borne in mind. It's very important because these drugs uh, to help you, uh, your medications will not work properly. Um, equally, the use of alcohol and illegal drugs, if you are receiving therapy, will be a big problem because you're using alcohol and illegal drugs mainly to avoid thinking about the trauma. Primarily, that's the reason. Some illicit drugs, for example, ecstasy, cocaine, nicotine and caffeine will be used to alleviate emotional numbing. So people don't like emotional numbing. It's very unpleasant. So this uh, use of these drugs that I've mentioned will make you feel alive, whereas alcohol and cannabis are mainly used to avoid thinking about the trauma and, uh, you know, to, to have a kind of breathing space or to help you to get to sleep. Uh, the problem is all of these drugs interfere with us being able to process information. And that's really what we're trying to do when we're doing therapy. So when we do therapy, we help the individual to confront what happened in a safe way and allow them to process that information in a safe way so it can put be put in a safe place and not be repeating in our mind all the time. And that's really essentially what therapy is about. So what would happen, uh, for example, is if somebody drinks alcohol or takes illegal drugs before therapy is that therapy won't work at the time. If they take alcohol or illegal drugs after the therapy, again, the therapy won't work because the mind needs to process information over a period of a few hours before therapy. It's important to go in with a clear head so that the therapy is actually done properly. And after you need a clear head for your mind to process what you have uh, worked out in therapy. And if uh, your, your mind is not clear, so if you go home and have a big binge of alcohol or, I don't know, take a load of cocaine, then your mind's not going to process anything and your therapy will not work. Uh, it's really important to tell uh, whoever's examining you to admit you are using alcohol or drugs because there are treatments, even if you're addicted, and combat stress will help you to sort that out first. When you were just mentioning about your PTSD, um, and through experience myself, I, I saw it from a, a movie that I picked up. For you yourself, where did you think, wow, I've got PTSD? What were your symptoms that stood out for you personally? Well, um, the nightmares, the heavy drinking, mm -hmm. which I'm not proud of, but it was the only way at the time I could um, to deal mm -hmm. with. I didn't really know what was wrong. I knew there was something wrong, but I couldn't. It wasn't until I got professional help that I got a diagnosis. Okay. And then time's moved on a bit now. Um, and I, I get it. Mm. I understand it. And I think I feel as though now I'm in a, I'm in a position to help other veterans. Um, and you sympathise with anybody with any kind of depression because yeah. it's, it's awful. To be honest, I always knew from first quarter, I knew I had issues, right? But I didn't know what they were. I couldn't pinpoint them on anything. And it became a bit of a thing in my life where people say, oh, what happened there? I'd just go on one. Whether it be heavy drinking binges or total disassociation where I'd, I'd vanish off the map. 
got a lot off the radar for her and in case it was turned up in other countries. And just like, wow, how I ended up here and things like that. And, and I don't know, it's obviously very strange and like most people find it hard to adjust. But when you can't, when you don't know the answers to what's up, you just, when you've came from a culture in the forces where drinking's a big thing, and I think you'll agree you get punished with drink, you celebrate with drink, You drink sorrows of drink. Everything's evolved around socialising and drink, drinking. And when you come out with forces, unfortunately you carry that on. Mm. However, you haven't got your battle partner getting you out of bed that morning at six o'clock to make sure you get off for PT. You haven't got your mate covering for you to make sure that your jobs are getting done and bits and bobs. You haven't got that. You lose that. And that's when you start going on a downhill slope. You carry on with the drinking. But the camaraderie's not there. I think that's what makes a lot of people suffer. I didn't know why I was going off. Why I was getting into trouble. Why I was... I don't know, it was just... Yeah, it was just a case of, I don't know. I didn't, I honestly didn't know. And these... First, these things, these episodes, shall we call them, would happen once, twice a year. Three times a year. And then I went to work away and anti piracy out in North Africa and whatever. And so again I went into a, back into a, a military type regime. Mm. And there was a lot of hole there and, that, and then I would come home and bang again and and that was probably not a wise move I'd done by choosing that choice of career again. Um Obviously, the power signs were there, but the damage that I'd done was to people around us. Everything was back onto the the drinking thing. So, and sometimes I would be in denial that I had a problem, but deep in my mind, I knew there was something wrong. But I didn't know what it was. What was making us get from point A to point B? Then all of a sudden, I, I couldn't explain that, and. Eventually, it started happening very close together. And I was with your partner at the time, and we were living together. And the drink then just got, and it was on epic proportions. Couldn't go to the shop and buy a bottle of wine for us to share for a maid. I'd be buying your partner a bottle of wine, and I'd be buying six. I'd buy a bottle of vodka with it and things like that. And I'd, be, I'd start hiding around the house and being deceitful about it. And as much as I thought I was being very covert about it, I said, you exactly what I was doing. We got to a point where we drinking binges. I was coming home from working abroad and we drinking binges were going on for days and days and days. And we decided to try, didn't wait to try and save the relationship for me to move out. I've got my own place. And that was, I believe, was a, it might have saved, just saved the relationship. However, it was a decision I made, but from that day, it was just a massive nosedive. I was by myself, I was lonely, 
and I just literally went on to major self-destruct. Um, to the point I was saying, I was going to the shop, I'd look out the window in the morning, and I'd say the light was on in the shop, get me North Face back across the road, fill it up, and just drink and drink and drink, till I collapsed, you know. And then I knew, and then I just thought, I couldn't see a way out. I couldn't see why I was getting there. And I, yeah, uh, I remember going there. I remember coming, coming round into my house, like coming in, and it was like uh, it was like the scene from the Dragon's Dead. And there was the crisis team sat there, doctors, my partner, a good friend of mine who'd heard through my partner, the state I was in, he lives in Carrick. He'd driven up from, he was actually in Hereford, working down there, and he'd get in the car and drove up. To, and, what's going on here? Who's this doctor? And then we explained, and then. Medication, we want to do this, we want to do that. And there was thought about us getting sectioned. And they decided it was the not the right place for us to go due to my military side of life and stuff like that. They didn't think it would be very good for other people in there. Because I wouldn't have, because of my manners and the way I'm, I don't like disrespect and stuff like that. Other people in there take the piss out of the system that I might have retaliated and that's all that they didn't put me there which was a good thing and so we said and I always well so this was in the October November time going into December sort of thing when all this was going on and uh, my partner told me it was just the week I went into the combat stress clinic, we were sitting talking, and I, I was a bit worried. I was a bit, what's it going to be like? What's this, that, the other? And she told me that she turned. How it, did you hear from? How did you hear about combat stress? A friend who drove her from Hereford. Uh-huh. I'd get in touch with them. Yeah. And what had happened is I had to refer myself. I referred myself, mm-hmm. and then I want to say Andy Cramlington. Brilliant bloke. Brilliant bloke, Andy. And uh, spoke to him, and he went, yeah, I think he need help, like. And if I'm going to get fixed, I'm going to put my life right. I've got to sort that out before I can sort that out. I've got to. I've got to. And I stopped. And, uh, it's not easy to suddenly just, just to do that. No way at all. Uh, that initial few days was the worst, worst few days of my life. All these different things going on, it, it can be quite confusing, which is why it is very important to get help uh, for these things. You could see your GP, you could phone our helpline. We would involve your 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 primary care, your general practitioner, uh, and, and combat stress could at least assess you and find out what the problems are. How are these things treated by combat stress and partner agencies? Well, as I mentioned before, we adopt a a phasic intervention. So the first thing is for somebody to be assessed, to make sure we know what symptoms they have, to try and make either a diagnosis or a formulation, you know, where there's an understanding of why these symptoms have occurred. Uh, 
in addition, then, we would look to uh, try to stabilise uh, symptoms by teaching skills. This can be done on an individual one-to-one basis, or it can be done online. And we will we are having um, uh, a lot of uh, new um, uh, skill-based, uh, uh, if you like, uh, programmes now that are going to be posted or have been posted on our website. So it's really worth looking at those. Um, uh, and that will teach people skills as to how to cope with these symptoms, which is really important. So coping skills uh, in relation to difficult situations or difficult symptoms are very important. And then, you know, because as we said, post-traumatic stress disorder is a disorder of memory where people essentially don't and cannot confront the traumatic experience because it is so frightening. Um, uh, we do trauma-focused therapies and that helps people get into a safe place where in therapy, on a one-to-one basis with your psychologist or psychotherapist, you talk about what happened and you file away the facts, what happened, the sensations, what it smelled like, what it tasted like, what uh, you heard, what you saw, what it felt against your skin like, and then uh, your emotions at the time and your emotions now. So that's what trauma-focused therapy is all about. And then the last phase is, is a recovery phase, um, and that's making sure that you reintegrate into society, you're not isolating yourself, and that uh, essentially uh, you, you have a job, you get a job, um, and, and you're able to function within relationships as well. Now, some people in the stabilization phase may need medication, which is why we employ psychiatrists as well as other mental health professionals. Uh, the aim of medication is to stabilize, to make sure you get into a window of opportunity to do your therapy, and once the therapy is done, then hopefully the medication can be reviewed, and ideally a lot of the medication, if not all, can be removed slowly after therapy is is completed. I know that some of you listening to this will be affected by what you heard. Whether you're a veteran or a friend or relative of a veteran, the Combat Stress 24-Hour Helpline is there for you. It provides free confidential advice and support. If you need to talk to someone, please do not struggle in silence. Call the helpline on 0800 138 1619. Combat Stress is a charity that is heavily dependent on public donations. Text GIVE to 70004 to donate £5. Please note, we may contact you about this campaign and the work our charity does. To give £5, but to opt out from further contact from us, text Give No. Text costs £5 plus your standard network rate. Combat Stress will receive 100% of your donation. Please obtain bill payers permission. Customer care line 01372 587 153. Charity number 206002. Next time on the Combat Stress 100 podcast, Hypervigilance. A state of severely increased alertness can make everyday tasks such as shopping in a crowded supermarket or traveling on public transport unbearable. We'll hear from veterans whose lives have been affected. We'll also hear from Combat Stress about a couples-based therapy that will help partners to better understand veterans' mental health problems, including how their day-to-day living is affected. Thanks for listening and see you next time.